So over, over this Easter season, we're going to look at four questions that were asked during the lead up to the crucifixion and to the resurrection of, of Jesus. And there's so much in a, in a simple question. Today, we're going to begin by asking the question, are you still sleeping? Jesus had just had his last emotional meal with his friends and Judas had departed to, to betray him. A betrayal that had been predicted for thousands of years had now started to unfold. So we're going to pick up the story in Matthew chapter 26 and verse 36. It begins, Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. He said to them, Sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little further, he fell with his face to the ground and he prayed, my father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not not as I will, but as you will. Then he returned to his disciples and, and found them sleeping. Couldn't you men keep watch with me for one hour? He asked Peter. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. He went away a second time and he prayed, My father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken, away until I drink it. May your will be done. Then he came back and he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. So he, went, so he left them and went away once more and prayed a third time saying the same thing. Then he returned to his disciples and said to them, are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour has come. The Son of Man is delivered over into the hands of sinners. The darkness and, and the, the loneliness of this night cannot be underestimated. The state of Jesus' mind is described here in verse 38. It's just, it's just devastating. He says, my soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. And all he wanted from his disciples was for them to keep watch with him. Yet three times they fall asleep. And their fatigue is, is understandable. It, it was the middle of the night. They'd been through an exhausting week of just intrigue, of arguments, of growing hostility. And they'd just finished an emotional meal. But, but this was the moment that they could have offered some support to their Lord. Yet he was left to pray alone with the crushing burden of what was to follow, not merely the physical pain of the cross, but the hell of just separation from his father. He, he would hang on a cross for them, but they could not stay awake for him. The fate of Jesus Christ was not sealed on a hill outside Jerusalem, but in a valley beneath it. It's not sealed with the betrayer's kiss or with a midnight arrest, but with a submission of the will. See, no one can take Jesus' life from him. He must lay it down. 
which is why in these verses we see Jesus, the God man, the man who is God wrestling in his spirit with the, with the crushing reality of Calvary. And we get a glimpse here into the, the depth of emotion that Jesus is going through. See, it's not so much the physical agony of his torture or the nails or the, the thorns of the crucifixion that were, were terrifying him. Instead, he said, take this cup from me. Remember, he's just come from the upper room where he lifted up his upper cup to the disciples as he instituted the communion meal, saying, this is the new covenant in my blood. Now he asks his father to relieve him of this cup of suffering. So what, what, is, what is he referring to here? Well, the cup is this this graphic, this, this Old Testament image pointing to the wrath of God. We read in, in Psalm 79, verse 8, in the hand of the Lord is a cup full of foaming wine mixed with spices. He pours it out and, and all the wicked of the earth drink it down to its very dregs. And Jesus knows that the cross is like a cup filled to the brim with God's burning anger. Jesus, Jesus realized that this cup is, is, is going to tear him apart at Golgotha as he takes the punishment that we deserve. This, this is what made him fall to the ground and pray because the most unbearable thought to the spotless, to the sinless son of God was dying under the wrath of his father and becoming all that is hideous to his father's righteousness. So he tells his father how he feels. He cries out in pain and, and fear. He, and and he, longs to, he longs for another way. Such is the intensity of Jesus' experience that Dr. Luke, one of the other gospel writers, records that Jesus' sweat was like drops of blood. This is a man under severe stress. But we also see Jesus' sheer courage that is beyond words, as he says, not my will, but what you will. And Jesus knows that he needs his father's strength to do what, what, what must be done. But while Jesus is praying, the disciples are sleeping. Now, it's not, as, it's not that they're not full of good intentions. They are very willing. They really want to do the right thing. But the disciples are relying on their own efforts, trying desperately just to keep their heavy eyes open. But nor do they grasp the importance of this moment, so they sleep. They've not understood how frail they really are, so they don't cry to God for help. And listen, every time that we struggle with prayer or with temptation, we need to turn our attention to God, to cry out to him to help us. But also, we, we need to look to Jesus as our example. See, it wasn't his divine power that got him through Gethsemane, but his love for his Father and his love for you and for me. And there's no doubt about it, following Jesus is sometimes difficult. There's often pain when we follow Jesus. And like him, we are tempted to take the comfortable, the easy way out. And so we need, we need God's help. We need his spirit to enable us to do his will and, and to put our faith in Jesus, even when it's painful and, and hard. It's the experience of the, 
experience of Thomas Goodwin, a, a Puritan who wrote in the, 19, in the 1600s, and he said, one who truly fears God and is obedient to him may be in a condition of darkness and have no light. He may walk many days and years in that condition. And Isaiah agrees with him. He says, who among you fears the Lord? Who obeys the voice of his servant? Who walks in darkness and has no light? Let him trust in the name of the Lord and rely upon God. Isaiah 50 verse 10. And there are times when circumstances or events just drop into into your life that just change everything. You may have spent time with someone who is sorrowful to the point of death. Perhaps you've, you've felt something like that yourself. And I, I watched my, my brother distraught and in agony after the loss of his son. I know what it's like there to be, to be helpless, to just not knowing what to do, not knowing what to say. The truth is that in those in those desperate, in those crushing moments, there, there are no words. Sometimes you just, you just need to be there. And maybe, you're, maybe your concerning presence is the only thing that you can give. And it's what the Lord Jesus asked of his friends in the garden. So when you face a financial situation, the loss of a loved one, an accident, a relationship breakdown, or even just a harsh word that's spoken against you that can, can, can just rock your whole life and your whole world just can be shaken in that moment. Then Satan comes along and he tempts you to despair. No, we need to be careful never to give Satan too much credit for things or, or, or make him look more powerful than he actually really is. But also we need to be careful we do not underestimate him either. And, and one of the clever ways in which he works is to whisper doubt and fear and despair into your mind. So if you're hearing words in your head like you're useless or you're a failure or nobody loves you or, or even could love you, or maybe even God isn't interested in you. At least he must not be considering the mess of your life. Stop for a moment and ask the question, where are those things coming from? Because they're not coming from God. God is love. All, all his ways are just loving. And God does not condemn you. He loves you. So if those words are not from him, where are they coming from? Well, it may be from yourself. It's most likely from Satan. Either way around, don't listen to them. Instead, turn to Jesus. John Piper says, the lesson of Jesus' life and the lesson of the Psalms is this. Every cave that you're in, wandering along, feeling the rock, stumbling, stepping, bumping your head. Every cave that you're in has a tunnel that opens into glory. It opens into a day like today in heaven with the sun shining and the grass green and the water flowing as long, as long as you don't sit in the cave and blow out the candle of faith. And God's words for some of you today is to get up. It's to waken up. Don't, don't sit in the darkness. Don't just lie there. Instead, find God's glory. You see, the person who knows that God will, 
God will always keep his word is the one who will be able to live in the beauty of God's peace, whatever their circumstances. For Jesus, he knew what was coming. Verse 45 finishes with the words, the hour has come and the son of man is delivered into the hands of sinners. And Judas would come and betray him with a kiss. The soldiers would be there. But the truth is that those soldiers who had come to arrest Jesus with their swords and their sticks were, were nothing compared to Jesus' power. He could have called an army of angels in a moment to frustrate all of their feeble efforts. Instead, he gave himself to them. He let them take him and tie him up. Jesus knew it was... It was God's will that the shepherd would be struck down for the sake of the sheep. He was glad to give his life for them. And in John chapter 10, verses 14 and 15, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as the father knows me and I know the father, I will lay down my life for the sheep. And even though Jesus knew that he would face this alone, he was prepared to die for you and for me. So when you face fear and tragedy and shame and even humiliation, Jesus knows what you're going through. And just like him, you need to fight despair. And as you take note of what Jesus did, you will discover some practical things that, that you can do as well. See, Jesus took some, chose some close friends to be with him. Verse 36, he says, he took Peter, James, and John with him. So he, he didn't withdraw. He, he took his most precious, his most trusted friends, and, and he pulled aside with them. Secondly, he opened up his heart to them. Verse 38, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here, keep watch with me. Now, I, can, I can imagine the disciples' mouths just dropping open with surprise. Their teacher, their king, confessing his weakness. But he was honest about how he is feeling to them. Thirdly, he asked for their help in spiritual warfare. Verse 41, watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. He asked them to fight with him in prayer. Fourthly, he poured out his heart to the Father in prayer, verse 39. He says, my Father, if this is possible, may this cup be taken from me. And listen, it's okay to pray that the tragedy that is dropped into your life will be just taken away. In a sense, the right thing to pray. It's okay to say, take it away, Father. I just don't want to face this. So ask him. Jesus prayed honestly to his Father in heaven. And then finally, he rested his soul in the sovereign wisdom of God. Second half of verse 39, yet not as I will, but as you will. This is the most difficult thing to pray, to bring ourselves in line with the will and the purposes of God, to declare that God's sovereign will is the best way 
but also the only way. And you can sense the loneliness in this moment. See, no one would stand with him in what he was about to do. No one could. He would stand alone as Savior because he alone was fit to deal with the judgment of God's wrath in their place. But it's precisely, precisely because Jesus stood alone that you don't have to. He's with you. But contrary to what some people might teach, particularly the false teaching of word faith or the prosperity gospel movement, God's grace will not always stop the pain, the problems, or the troubles in your life. He never promised that life was always going to be easy or that difficult circumstances would just simply just disappear and go away. But he does promise that his grace and that his love will keep you and will sustain you. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9 to 10, Jesus said, My sustaining grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. It is, God, it is God's grace, His grace that will sustain you and enable you to keep going. In fact, there is nothing greater than the intensity of God's sustaining grace. Suppose you were to take all of the desire for food and for sex and for money and fame and power and meaning and friends and security in the heart of just one human being on earth, and you were to put all of those desires into a container, and then you multiply them by, by everyone alive today, nearly 8 billion people, and put all of that desire into an even bigger container, how would it compare to the desire how would it compare to the heart of God to do you good? It would be like a drop in the ocean. The heart of God is infinite. His grace will never run dry. His love cannot be compared. There is no intensity greater than the intensity of God's love for you. So even though you go through bad times, it does not mean that God has abandoned you. The hymn writer, William Cowper, struggled with depression all of his life, yet he wrote these words in, in one of his lowest moments. God moves in mysterious ways, his wonders to perform he plants his footsteps in the seas and rides upon the storm. Oh, fearful saint, fresh courage, take the clouds. You so much dread are big with mercy and shall break in blessing on your head. And Kuiper had learned from experience that God was in control of the events of his life. And what was true for him is just as true for you today. Let's just pray. Father in heaven, mercy and your grace. We thank you, Lord, that your goodness is beyond our understanding, that you're faithful, that you're true, Lord, that in each and every situation and circumstance of this life, that you're in it, that you're with us, that you never leave us, that you've promised in your word, you will never take us. So, Lord, today we say, 
have your way among us. Lord, those challenges that we face, those situations that we're going through that we, Lord, we ask. Lord, open our eyes to see your glory even in the middle of them. Open up our hearts to respond to you. May you fill us afresh with your spirit. Strengthen us with your might and encourage us to keep going and to keep loving you with all that we have. In Jesus' name, amen.